Welcome back. Welcome. <laughs> I'll say welcome too. Oh, were you going to do that one? Well, you were going to say welcome, and then I saw it, and then I was thinking, does he say welcome? Do I say welcome? If we said it together, we're going to be like twins, and I don't want to be feel, twinsies. Right? Uh, no, no. I, I feel like, you know, at one point we'd say, like, bro, and you do the intro. I, you just do the welcome, and I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Paul. <laughs> You were you were so good. I became unsure. <laughs> Anybody who's going to catch that movie reference is oh, like extra points. Please, please email us, and we will. If you know what that what movie those lines are from, <laughs> you are we like, will send you some TCA swag. I definitely will, and probably a gift card of some sort because oh, that yeah. is like next level. That is next level obscure movie reference. Yeah. Um, anyway, welcome back to the Chasing Sunday podcast. Uh, this is a podcast where we help uh, worship leaders uh, get off the ministry treadmill and stop chasing Sunday after Sunday, and uh, and find real uh, spiritual health and mm-hmm. life uh, in their ministry and and outside their ministry as well. So, yeah. um, I'm Brian Davis. I'm Paul Romick Levitt, and we are. Your hosts, we are not twins. We are not uh, twins. Just want to continue to drive that home. I don't um, know, but we are starting to look, as we get older, we're starting to look the same. Probably. I yeah. think probably a little yeah. bit, maybe too much. Yeah. Just a just a couple, you know, little trolls marching around the the worship landscape. Um. <laughs> do you need a hug? We're the good kind of trolls. We're always saying, oh, yes. like, do you need a hug and Jesus loves you? <laughs> Uh, anyway, this episode's going to be amazing. This is this is a good episode. Yeah. Um and uh our our friends uh Tom and Sandy Corrigan um who we uh we met through uh our association with uh 3 to 5 club um which we've talked about a little bit uh and and we'll talk about more uh mm-hmm. in a future episode. Um but uh yeah, so um Sandy uh is uh she's an author she's a coach she's a speaker uh she's hosted podcasts she's written uh she sings she uh she's co-owned companies um she's worked in the church she has sold cosmetics which she talks about in in this episode which is a fascinating story um she's coached hundreds of CEOs uh leaders of business teams um Sandy and, and Tom they're uh they're the founder of Transformation Companies, LLC, which uh, provides real estate and coaching services. Uh, she also does something that's that's equally fascinating, yeah. uh, is that she does uh, uh, therapy uh, with – she doesn't do therapy on horses. She, uh, she employs horses in the use of therapy. So she's an equine-inspired coach. Um, and it is really, we need to have her on just to talk about the horse stuff because it's, it's really amazing. Um, so, uh, so yeah, we both Um, did it. Did we both go? I went, we've been to, I've been to her farm once. Um, Uh and, uh, and Madeline, uh, our, our little one, she, she rode a horse and enjoyed it, uh, verily. Um, so, uh, What's fascinating is she uses horses to help humans and animals build this trust and confidence. Mm -hmm. So it's not just Mm -hmm. about connections with animals, it's connections within teams. Um, And so they do this amazing thing. It's basically a trust technique that they have to go and become qualified practitioners Mm -hmm. of this particular technique. And it's very, very fascinating um, helping basically leaders navigate uncertainty. Yep. 
Yeah. So, uh, and uh, she's also the the chief conation officer with mm-hmm. Crankset Group, um, and she engages uh, small business owners and coaches uh, to help uh, bring three to five clubs to cities all around the world. Yeah. So uh, that's a little bit about Sandy. And uh, Tom. Yeah. Tom's also an amazing person. He's an, mm-hmm. he's the author of five books, numerous articles on leadership and team building and mentoring, and has. Over 40 years experience in leadership, consulting, and organizational development across several industries, including church planting, business development, training and corporate development. Um, and Tom's also on staff with Crankset. He's the chief transformation officer for three to five clubs. And I love this. He, he, I don't know if he talks about this in our conversation, but I know that he sells homes right now to raise money to underwrite sustainable water projects in third mm-hmm. world villages. So he's yeah. thinking, he's thinking pretty big in his big why. Um, and you know, Tom and Sandy are married and they have successfully raised four girls and they have four incredible grandchildren. Um, he loves motorcycling and, uh, horses and jazz and blues, you know, mm-hmm. so it's, they're, they're well-rounded for sure. They are. They are. And, um, yeah, just the, the wisdom and, and the experience and insight that they bring, um, and, and that they brought in this episode is, uh, I think is, is striking and will mm-hmm. be, uh, will be very helpful, um, to, to you, dear listener. Um, and so, uh, let's get into it with, uh, Tom and Sandy Corrigan on the Chasing Sunday podcast. Welcome, Tom and Sandy. So, so glad to have you on the Chasing Sunday podcast. And um, we've been together in a, in a group called Three to Five Club for, I don't know when you joined that. I mean, and then, so it's been a couple of years. Um, and we've gotten to know each other over the course of that those those years. And we just knew Brian and I, when we were talking, we had to have you come on the podcast because you have such incredible insight. And such wisdom when it comes to just your background in ministry, but also thinking through business. And and I know we'll talk a little bit about the connection between those two. Um, but tell us just a little bit about maybe you know both individually and separately or and together, uh, what your history with ministry in particular has been. Where do I want to start? I guess my non-professional life in ministry growing up was being the oldest of six kids Mm. and six years older than my next sister. So kind of the serving my family and taking care of people has always been in my life. What part of the country did you grow up in? I grew up in Burlington, Wisconsin. Okay. So close to Milwaukee, not far from Chicago. So that part of the country. Yeah. And I was always really interested in others. Hmm. And I think my mom was really the instigator because she was always very, I mean, six kids, she was always very others oriented. So I think I was already predisposed to finding, you know, a life in something that would give me the opportunity to serve. Yeah. And then, you know, work, went to college and worked some jobs and all of that. And in the late eighties, so I'm really dating myself, actually early (laughs) eighties, mid eighties, um, ended up going to um, the East Coast to help plant a church. Okay. And um, that was a very Willow Creek-style seeker-oriented church. 
and which I loved because I went to school for theater and music and dance, and I loved the arts, and there was a huge opportunity to express who the Lord is, who God is, who we are in Christ through the arts. And that was really fresh at that time. It I mean, was I very fresh. Willow Creek was a famous because of how innovative mm-hmm. they their approach and their tactics and all that kind of stuff. And how huge. excellent it, and was. it was. Like, yeah. it, you know, you would, I grew up in church where like the choir wasn't that good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then I went there and I was like, oh my gosh, like this is world class. Mm-hmm. And so to be able to be a Christian and express myself in that way and in, in excellence really spoke to what I loved to do. And so I was there for 18 years mm. really? doing singing, being the soloist, um, uh, working as the org- uh, in organizational development through ministries like small groups and apologetics and uh, hospitality, mm-hmm. you know, kind of led those leaders and uh, had the great experience of learning how to engage with people and learning how to inspire and motivate people in something that we, we made meaning together. Yeah. You know, because nobody got paid. Mm-hmm, I mean, right. I didn't get paid for like 17 years. <laughs> I was <laughs> really? like a professional full-time volunteer. Yeah. But, you know, there were other benefits in terms of personal sure. identity, living out my destiny through that experience. What were you so, doing for work then? Well, I was married um, okay. at the time. And so I did part-time things like childcare in my home for four years okay. with 24 children. Uh-huh. What? That was the hardest Yikes. job I've ever had. <laughs> yeah. Take, and take that, Duggars. I'm just kidding. I don't, I, I'm just, <laughs> and doing. I mean, she's yeah. always been committed to mediocrity. Oh, <laughs> yeah, obviously, I couldn't yeah. just have a few kids. Obviously, and direct sales. And I was a waitress. You know, like I did the kind of things yeah. that I could do around raising a family and ministry yeah. to be able to help supplement the yeah. income. Yeah, right. I'm. I'm curious, and this is kind of off some of the questions, uh, but there there are a lot of artists. Uh, worship leaders in particular who struggle with, you know, the administrative side, you know, and doing a lot of the like organizational kinds of stuff that you were doing in tandem with, with your artistry. Is that just, would you say it's just a unique way that you're wired was one more of a struggle than the other? How did you kind of find a way to marry those two and do, do both those jobs at the same time? Well, I think I had always a focus on the people. Oh, okay. Not so much the process, right? Right. So we've learned in three to five that having nice, executable process plans. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wish I'd known about that then because mm, I think yeah. I could have made, created more consistency and frequency. Right. But I think because I loved being with the people, mm. then helping accomplish goals and working out business plans and those kind of things was part of the vehicle to help the people. Right. So if I always kept the people in focus, I was fine. If mm. I was just focusing on paperwork, right. that was horrible, mm. you know, because I didn't love it. Yeah, cool. I don't know if that answers your yeah. question. Oh, no, that's a, that's a great perspective on it. was the people it. piece. And then <clears throat> I'm a good dot connector and I'm a good get other people involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when I saw an area I didn't like or I wasn't good at, I would like, who can I get to volunteer? Who yeah. can I help, you know, be part of this team to make sure. meaning together in this way and they can you know, work out who they are in that capacity. No, I, I, yeah, I think that's super important because I, in not to get too alliterative, but you know, you're the people and the process, but I think something that has become so um, 
prevalent. Gosh, so many peas. Is um, the potatoes? Is the, pota- the, the is potatoes the have potatoes. become prevalent? <laughs> no, uh, something that's become very prevalent, you know, is you know personality profiles and making sure that you know, like, so these this is the way that I'm wired and this is the way that I do things. But I feel like that has taken so much of a front seat that people use those as kind of an excuse to not do certain you know certain parts of their job. Mm-hmm. And while it's true, like you know, at least for me, doing you know, really administrative and organizational tasks does zap me of energy. But if I can think of it in a way, like you said, like this is how I serve people, Mm. you know, Mm. it it may not fit my personality profile, my, you know, INFP or whatever I am on the Enneagram and all those kinds of things. Um, But like, ultimately this is how I show how I love these people that I'm serving, you know? And so I think that's a really great perspective. If we can kind of get, you know, at the end of the day, get above the personality profiles, get mm-hmm. above all the processes that we have to go through and think like, oh, I'm doing this because I love these people. <laughs> you know, I think that's well, that's a really great. And I want to give Tom time here, but I, this is what I want to say is, so we were planting a church. I mean, there were 75 people total. Right. Like that included families. Sure. Well, that's very entrepreneurial. Yeah. And so – like business, when you're the entrepreneur, you just have to do what it takes. Like mm-hmm. you have to do everything you have to do yeah. with the vision that hopefully someday you can get to do more of right. what you really love to do. But so I think two things, Brian, I think not only serving the people, but it's, you've got to know why. Mm-hmm. Like you've got to know your vision around, so why am I working 80 hours a week and I don't get paid? And I've got to, you know, work with other people and yeah. bring them along because there's that entrepreneurial piece in terms of the vision. I mean, mm-hmm. I remember standing on the side of the road before the building was ever built in this forest of trees. I mean, it was East Coast, so lots yeah. of trees. And the guy we brought in to clear just a road into where the property would be said, oh, there's no way. And I remember <laughs> looking at him and said, Oh yeah, there's always a way. Like we'll find a way. Yeah. And then I just started telling him why. Right. And all of a sudden you could see the shift where he's like, mm. "Oh, we have to find a way." Mm. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. Nice. Now, and Tom, how, where did you come from? Where did it start for you? <laughs> come on. I've always wondered this. Where did Tom yeah. come from? Oh, you got to <laughs> tell him that you were going to be the priest well, in the family. I was, I was, just like Sandy's only totally different. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I Irish Catholic father, okay. uh, Romanian Jewish mother. So we are steeped in religion. Uh-huh. And the the day I was born, my aunts and uncles on my father's side came to the hospital. My dad held me up and said, here's our next priest. Because that was the high water mark oh, yeah, for any yeah. Irish family is the first son. Jeez. And so the, my my folks put me on that track, and I, I ran with that. I became an altar boy back when... Catholic Church was still doing Latin, oh, so wow. really learn Latin, Pre, yeah, some you, you Latin. pre-Vatican II, yeah. yeah, yes, yeah. and um, Catholic grade school, and then uh, Catholic high school until I noticed start noticing girls, and I went <laughs> priest, no girls. Uh, <laughs> this doesn't make sense. This <laughs> equation is busted. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I, I went, I went off another direction. And uh, this was the time of the drug explosion and all that mm-hmm. that went on with that got caught up in that whole okay. mess. Um, and 
joined a socially elite group called Stone Free, which was a motorcycle club, <laughs> and uh, became actually became Already. a bartender in a biker bar. Already, so fascinating, yeah. Tom. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you didn't know this from about priest him, to yeah. biker. Yeah. Like, come right. on, that's a book, right? But you know what? I I I was always the mediator um, between couples, you know, dating couples and stuff, and. Uh, I don't know where I got the insight. I guess I just asked a lot of questions to help people un- unfold their own yeah. scenarios. Um, anyways, went through a radical transformation. This is also, you know, kind of the same time as the Jesus People yeah, movement. Yeah. It was a massive, ga- you know, in gathering by the Holy Ghost and the church. Um, because you can't explain it otherwise because the yeah. church was not advertising for these people. Right. Yeah. They didn't right. want these hippies um, and <laughs> biker types and all the other renegades that kept gathered in during. The, right. So um, I I found other people like myself because I didn't know what to do. I think I I went back and tried to talk to the priest and said, okay, I'm ready to go. Let's, let's run. And they going, who in the heck are you? And right. we don't want you here so much. You, you look very different than everybody else. <laughs> so I, I found other people like myself mm. and we started, we started a Bible study for a bunch of kids who were hanging out at this water park. Mm-hmm. Um, and the guy I was kind of partnering with was a significant evangelist. In fact, he he would rather we call it. He, he caught him, and I cleaned him. <laughs> and that was kind of my role. And uh, ended up being part of five church plants in okay. three states. Um, at, you know, over a period of time, but um, I I ended up um, going to seminary part time. Um, and grown a church and hmm. it was growing talking about organically. It was, yeah. it was, again, it was a, a supernatural move of, of God. Uh-huh. Um, we couldn't have done what we did. Right. And we ended up with 600 young, very young people uh-huh. and a handful hmm. of older, more mature disciples. Yeah. Um, and we were just trying to stay a half a step ahead of uh-huh. everybody else. Sure. So it made us incredibly dependent uh-huh. on the Lord, which, which was really good uh-huh. until we weren't. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. And then we started playing church and we started dressing up and uh-huh. cutting our hair and wearing ties. And there's nothing wrong with any of that. Sure. Yeah. It was, it was clearly symbolic of a <laughs> shift in our worldview. Yeah. And it drove me nuts. I couldn't stand it. <laughs> um, and so I, I ended up leaving there and moving to another state, being part of another church plant and, and a series of church plants. Uh-huh. And, um, but I, I always thought, what's the what's the ethic driving my life? And it is about transformation, and it's not about playing church. Mm-hmm. If I could use that term, that, yeah. I don't want to be derogatory in any way. No, that's fine. You should hear some of the other episodes. Of, <laughs> of this, but no, I'm just. <laughs> we opened the lid off the derogatory <laughs> jar. Yes. I couldn't stand that playing church, yes. and it, you know, and, and if I was going to line that up with the scripture, it's a the amount of transfiguration. Where, mm-hmm. You know, Peter says, "Let's play church. Yeah. Let's build some shelters and just stay here and really enjoy this." You know, and there's nothing wrong with that. 
Right. That was not what Jesus came for. Yeah. Well, and I do think there is a difference. It's interesting that I hear the same trend that happens with any group of people who experience growth rapidly. There is a crisis that creates, and that crisis is it'll either spiral into um, toxic culture as it continues to grow, or people feel like we got to make this thing legitimate, and we've got to then therefore be legitimate. So we got to mm-hmm. pretend that we belong with the other people who are doing the quote unquote big churches, and, and we look like them because nobody's going to take us seriously if we look like us doing the thing that we're That's doing. Spot on, you yeah, know. That's been my experience as well. And then you, you sounds like you, you were allergic to that, thankfully, you know, and just was like, ah. I got to get out of here. But I imagine that also creates a bit of disruption in your own life then too, like to have that and then leave it. Is that the case? Oh, clearly. And having an entrepreneurial spirit as well and Mm. having started a number of businesses over the years, you know, of course, in many of the church plants, we were bivocational because the church was too small to support us. So we Mm. worked other jobs. Mm -hmm. I was typically either started companies or went into sales because I could <laughs> I could run my own business within mm-hmm. and um, I and I was able to support my family that way and do well but yeah there's a there's a path we run on and then it seems like there's a why in the road and it goes back to just what you said and then people bring external pressure they're going yeah we really love what you you know, we come to visit. We really love, but when you guys become real, like mm. you're not meeting in a school building anymore, right. or you know, yeah, um, then we'll come back. Right, whatever that means. What right, re- whatever real means. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so the the promise of them coming back, yeah, you're enough right. of that. You go, know, we got to get a building. And again, yeah. there's nothing wrong with the per, per, you know that, um, as long as the building doesn't become. The reason. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, and for many growing churches, they, they, they built massive plants. Yeah. And I know, I know churches in the Denver metro area that they've got a $10 million a month nut. Yeah. 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 Um, and so what does that mean to ministry? And yeah. you better not honk off the wrong people yeah. who help underwrite all oh, yeah. that. Mm-hmm. You've got it. Gotta yeah. keep your just like on. any corporation or organization, right. it becomes right. that sort of business, right? Yeah. Which any organization can become. And you know, Tom said something that we talk about all the time. And I, I'm really grateful that I was bivocational mm-hmm. because there would be times I'd be in leadership meetings with people who were full time in the church, and I felt like they were so out of touch with where everybody else mm-hmm. was. Yeah, yeah. You know, because we had the Sunday service and we had a midweek service and then we had men's groups and women's groups and kids stuff. And I'm like, pretty soon the people that were out there that could reach other people were just their their second job was at the church. And I just saw the difference with people who stayed engaged in something outside the church could bring a different perspective. That was a really good perspective. And I wonder sometimes if this idea of full time in the church ministry even though you know sure you have a lot of competing priorities when you've got to yeah. make money you've got a family all that but so what if it took longer if it meant yeah. that we stayed engaged with the very people we want to reach 
I feel like you're you're like actually getting to the the close the, the question that's um the the issue of unquestioned growth or growth at all costs, right? If you start to go, well, if we're bivocational, then we have to think differently about growth. When you have somebody who's dedicated full time, right, then you have to justify their paycheck. You have to make sure that's also they're <laughs> always doing this thing. And if we don't, like I, I would imagine in any sort of business, what's the it's people are the biggest expense. People are the biggest overhead, right? So the more people you you get to the business, the larger the output of that business has got to be to just compete with the with the expenses monthly, right? So, um, and it becomes the mindset of how you gauge success. Absolutely, how many this people? How many yeah. people are in our church? You uh, know, yeah. we're up to twelve hundred. Yeah. You know, you know, well, that church is twenty five thousand. You know, and and I think w- there's nothing wrong with that because we want to bring people, but. The last time I looked, it said, go ye, not come ye. And yeah. we started to become, come, come, come here. When I think we could have done a better job to say, yeah, we still want to come here. And we want people to come here. But how are we going? Like, how are we gauging our going and yeah. reaching people so that we have a better balance between the very thing that Jesus asked us to do? Yeah. Yeah. It's when, yeah, when when churches become more like gathering places Instead of sending places, you know, and 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 I think yes, it's got to be both. This, yeah, it should be a place where people gather, but the idea is to not just stay here the whole time. You know, like we we take the things that we learn, we take the things that we experience, and we take those back out into our community. Um, yeah, I think it it becomes really dangerous when every single thing that every single person in a church does is all centered around coming to the church building for those things. You know, that, that can just be really, I think it can be really dangerous and can turn, it can become really toxic really quickly. So, um, so yeah, we, that's one of the things that I love about working here at new Denver is yeah, we're, we are all also bivocational. Um, and you know, one of our pastors teaches at the university down the street and one of them is, you know, he's a, cons- like he's a tech consultant, you know? And so we're all outside of what we do here. We're still surrounded by, you know, we're still surrounded by, I don't want to say the outside world, but like we're still involved in our communities outside of what we do here at the church. And I think that's, it's been a breath of fresh air for me. It's hard because up until this point, you know, I've only ever worked full time, you know, in churches. And so, yeah, everything was all my friends worked at church, all my, you know, you know, all everything was church, 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 you know, so it's, it's very, it's, it's been kind of shocking and sometimes difficult to realize like, oh, I need to find some people outside of that sphere to <laughs> to engage with, and and uh, so yeah, it's it's good to hear you uh, hear you talk like that and 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 understand like yeah, this isn't just the focal point of every single thing. It's not as comfortable. It's not oh, yeah. as comfortable as all my friends and all my kids' friends, and it's it's not as challenging. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's different challenges, but. I don't know. There's just something engaging about having more awareness of what everybody else is going through in life. Like we yeah. tend to then kind of insulate ourselves right. and then our perspective is skewed. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, and, and so it would, it would have been harder. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was harder. Yeah. It just, it's better. Yeah. And that's a, I think that's a good distinction. You know, yeah, it's harder, but it, but it is better. 
And we don't, we don't want to equate those. Like we think easier is always better. Like, and so it is easy to, yeah, build this community. And eventually, yeah, you all start like, you know, you go from being like, Hey, we're all cool, rough and tumble biker guys. And, but now like, as we grow, oh, maybe we'll put on the suit and tie a little bit and y'all start to look alike and think alike and talk alike. And mm-hmm. that's how cults get started. <laughs> so, well, no, it's so true. And yeah, you know, when, when we first started seeing in our first church plan that myopia tr- get coming in, um, and we started doing church talk instead of mm-hmm. Jesus talk. And we, we, we kept going, so what's our driving value? Mm-hmm. What's the driving ethic? If we stray away from that, then we better tell everybody rather than say, this is who we are right. versus, and we've seen that in business everywhere too. Yeah. And mm-hmm. sometimes in grand scales, you know, the Enron with the brass plate and, and the saying, this is what we do and this is who we are. And they were everything different than that, yep. you know, and just hurt a lot of people. But, um, Somebody suggested you, you had to read this book, and um, actually, it was a series of books. And one one gentleman, the, the author was a small church in Canada, who decided that the only way that he could avoid this this outcome was to invest in people and invite people to be leaders of small groups. And that, that was very attractive to me. And then I, I found this guy named Yonggi Cho. And <laughs> there was, there's a, a small church in Seoul, Korea. At that point, was 600,000 people in the church. Jeez, and you man. had to have a ticket to, to get into a church service on wow. Sunday because they couldn't possibly do enough. Sure. So you could only go on occasion. But um, it, it 250,000 small groups. Wow. And so I actually was able to have a conversation with somebody who was on staff there in the late 70s. Mm-hmm. And I said, why? And um, he said, well, we're number one. Uh, we we can't possibly take care. We couldn't have a staff oh, yeah. large enough. But no. the, the other issue is we're under the threat of invasion all the time from North Korea. Mm-hmm. So they can come and bomb our church, but oh. they'll never bomb our church mm-hmm. because we are everywhere mm-hmm. um and i thought is that transferable to canton ohio mm-hmm. you know and we started um trying to do everything through small group community um and then really spend our time investing in those people that was that, that was my primary job investing in other people and then the second thing was in a, in the following church that, that grew exponentially and we just said we are we're settling into the pastor role associate pastor and the pecking order and um so we we had a a meeting and said how are we going to avoid this how are we going to deal with this and so we decided every one of us had to go and spend time on the job with our major leaders every month Hmm. and we had to report in wow Hmm. um so I mean, we had our people of a wide variety, uh, everybody from a university professor of economics to a guy who ran a, a plastics press and a plastic and jeweled in, in plastic uh, injection mold hmm. company. Okay. And it took some timing to make that happen. And, you know, like uh, when I showed up with a 
hard hat on in a <laughs> taped off area, and, and then people are going, who's that? Well, that's my pastor. Hmm. What's he doing? <laughs> they wanted to see what I did with my life. Yeah. Gave us totally different perspective sure. on what yeah. those people's issues were. Yeah. Um, which, number one, enamored us with them yeah. and us with them and gave me a perspective on life outside of church. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it, so it was, it was refreshing. Sure. What a what a great way to to get uh you know the the pulse of the actual culture of your church, not the culture that you want everybody to sort of assimilate to um, when they walk through the doors, but but the actual like these are the things that people are actually struggling with, and these are the things that you know that Joe faced this week when he was, you know, when he was in, in, you know, making plastic molds for whatever it was, or these are the things that, you know, that Susan faced as she was teaching at the university. And these are the things that everybody's bringing in on a Sunday morning, you know, and, and that's just, I think that's so important. It's something that, that we miss so much of, like, we just expect everybody to, to walk in to church and like watch the show that we created for you today and listen to the message that we wrote for you today. But we have absolutely no idea. You know, we're, we're making all these wild assumptions about what they're struggling with or what they, what they might need. And so we'll do entire series on it. And in the meantime, everyone's just sitting in the pews going like, I don't know. I like the song, but now it's back to the plastic molding plant on Monday. And I have no idea what I can, what I can do with all this stuff that you just threw at me, you know, but on a Sunday morning. That's so, exactly. Yeah. So to have your pulse on the, like, by going to their actual places of business and saying, this is what you do. This is what, this is what you're struggling with. I, th- I just think we, we miss that so much in the church by just saying like, yeah, come here and see what we, come here and see what we think you need on Sunday morning. You know, Tom mentioned transformation and uh, we like to read and watch things by Dr. James Wilder, who calls himself a neurotheologian. So he studies theology and how our brains work, like how we function. And they did a, um, they studied transformation for a long time. And and this is the way it relates to a church is we have people come, we create a catalytic experience, right? In that event, Mm -hmm. right? We teach them what's right and wrong, Mm. right? And and then we kind of send them on their way, right? But that doesn't create transformation. I mean, even the big experiential weekends like a Tony Robbins weekend or, you know, right. some yeah. other kind of big weekend is just catalytic. It's just the beginning of saying, can we open you up to consider right. what transformation looks like? But what they found is that transformation is first knowing who you are mm-hmm. and whose you are, mm-hmm. that it's being in community to live it out. And then it's having at least one or two other people to go way deep with where you've got somebody to really walk through life that way mm-hmm. with. That, that's the only way true transformation happens. And I think we keep trying to like accomplish it in a weekend or accomplish it in a day or accomplish yeah. it at a retreat. And that's just cracking it open. We, um, we've always teased that if we were ever start a church, which we're not, is that it would be Tom and Sandy's Church of Fun where everybody gets to play. And the idea would be that our job would be to spend time with you and find out what are your dreams? Mm-hmm. What do you really care about? And then that's what we would pray about. Mm. And then that's what we would invest in because you're attached to at least, what do we know? Like a sphere is at minimum 250 people. Mm-hmm. So if we can 
hold you up, if we can help you become who you're supposed to be, if I'm a leader in the church and I can help you become who you're supposed to be, and I can help to create communities where you can live that out, Mm. right? And you can then find, you know, just like work, we say people who have a best friend at work tend to stay longer, right? So if I have a best friend at church, I'm going to tend to stay longer there, right? Right. So if my job as a leader is to invest in you that way, and that's what happens in the church, rather than you all come here, here's our vision, you all have a part in that. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it's just very different than when I have taken time to, to really spend time and say, how do I pray this week for Paul's dreams, for his family? Mm. And everybody in the church would be about that. What could happen? Right. Mm-hmm. What kind of reach would we would we have? What kind of example, what kind of modeling would we then do mm. everywhere else in everything else we're involved in? So here's here's what I'm interested in is we've talked a little bit about your your history with churches and in that kind of realm, but you're not doing that now. Um, what is how has ministry evolved for you? What does that what does that look like? Is there a different word you use? Is there a different idea that you think about how you are if if you are doing, I don't know, kingdom work or advancing kingdom work in your spheres of influence now? We all we all know who Paul was and we know that he was bivocational. He's a tent maker. And I think as professional clergy, we look at him, well, he didn't grow things because he was always on a move. He never grew things big enough that he could have drawn his paycheck and really, really got became full time. What a failure that guy right? was! <laughs> yeah. He just had to keep really falling back bad. on yeah. his tent making. Yeah. Yeah. So where in the heck did that come from? Right. You know, and I think we've twisted that. Unfortunately, yeah. uh, number one, the word ministry. What's that mean? How does that affect everybody in your church? And it's not. Well, I'm a part of the coffee ministry or the parking lot ministry Mm -hmm. or whatever ministry, and they're all good. I think service is part of who we should be. Um, But ministry means I have a worldview that is impacted by the kingdom of God, and that's running in my operating system all the time. Uh So what's that mean? For me, is I own we own a real estate company, uh-huh. and we do have a we do coaching for business people. How does that impact? Um, I get a chance to to pray with and pray for every client that I have. Doesn't matter where mm-hmm. their spiritual life is or whether they have one, mm-hmm. because when the, I say, "Let's," you mind if I invoke the supreme being of the mm-hmm. universe? Because <laughs> we we want to. Draw in. We want to call in the buyer for your house, right? Mm-hmm. And you've created this awesome sense, you know, of whatever it is in your your home. And we need to find the person who needs to take that on, carry it forward. And they go, "Oh, that's an interesting perspective on my house." You you see something, you recognize something that I've created here. Um, and then, you know, when we come down to, uh, we have a contract. And I just want to let them know I'm praying for wisdom for you as you review this, and let's talk later. Uh-huh. I don't ever have somebody say you're fired. I don't know what you. Know, I don't want all that religious talk. Never. Hmm. Um, so they in, are engaged by the kingdom because that's what I'm able to carry. Yeah. Hmm. 
Here's my great story about this. So, and I'll just be vulnerable because I know there's going to be people that listen to this that go, I'm so glad she told the story Mm -hmm. because that's me. So I'm having this fabulous and terrible experience in my 18 years Mm. because my ministry experience is fabulous Mm. and my marriage is terrible. Mm. And so I end up getting divorced. Mm-hmm. And so um, I don't work there anymore, and mm-hmm. I'm the one that instigated it. Mm-hmm. And so I'm put on administrative leave, and most of the people, most of the people that were my friends, didn't talk to me anymore because mm-hmm. now I was the prodigal. And you know, I mean, like I'm not going to beat those people up. They only knew what they knew, right? Because sure. I wasn't going to air all the dirty laundry with everybody. So I called my sister in New York. And we had both been in the cosmetic business, and I said, I need a job because now I I have to support myself, and I have two girls that I want to at least mutually support, and I don't have anything. I don't have any money, and I don't have a job, and mm. I don't even have friends, and this is super hard. I mean, I'm not crying today because it, it was 22, 23 years ago, mm-hmm. but at the time, it was probably it was probably the most devastating thing I went through. I can't imagine. And so she put me in touch with somebody who got me a job in a Victoria's Secret beauty store. Mm. Now, this wasn't the lingerie side. This was the makeup mm-hmm. fragrance side attached to that. But And so I drove to work. I remember the first day. It's raining. It's miserable. I'm, I'm, I, I'm not doing anything like I was doing before. I'm going back into the world, into the cosmetic world, especially that world. And I'm crying all the way to work. Mm-hmm. And I feel like an absolute total failure. In fact, I felt like God was going to kill me. Really? Wow. Because I was getting divorced. Sure, sure. And I mean, that's not hard to believe yeah, based on the Yeah, I mean, because in, in our culture, you yeah. didn't do that. Like, no matter what, you just Absolutely. didn't get divorced. Unless maybe somebody, like, had had a series of affairs or was beating you terribly. Like, those were the two reasons, right? Right. Yeah. And I went to the store that day. And I was going to be a manager of a store, but the manager of the store had to, you know, let me experience everything. And so guess what I got to do on the first day? I got to go into the center of the mall and spread lotion and spray people with fragrance. <sighs> and you know how fun that is when you're the customer walking through the mall. You do everything oh, you can yeah. to avoid those people, right? Oh, gosh. That's <laughs> I am... I sit in the car before I go into a mall and mm-hmm. I practice my like F off face mm-hmm. just yeah. because yes. I know yes. that I'm going to encounter those yep. people. Yep. And it's like, yep. don't talk to me. Don't talk to me. Don't. Oh, yep. it worked that time. Good. Yeah. You yeah. know, and then there's always that one like super persistent one yeah. who like That'll get you. follows oh, you for like Sandy, 20 so sorry. <laughs> so I'm out there and it's early in the morning. So there's yeah. nobody in the mall. And I am trying to hold it together. Sure. Yeah. Because I am so devastated inside at how my life has turned out and feeling very responsible. And I'm like, great. I was in ministry talking about angels sometime. And now with the dream angels, you know, (laughs) that was the model. So along comes this woman and her son. And I just stood there and prayed. I'm like, God, if you're in this at all, then will you show up? Yeah. And she walks up to me mm. and she says, what are you, you know, doing? What mm. are you sampling? And I said, well, you know, this is the Victoria's Secret fragrance and 
could I put a little lotion on and tell you about it? Oh, yes, I'd love that. Mm. And so she lets me put it on. And I she had this cotton sweater with all these flowers. And I said, what a beautiful sweater. And I'm putting it on and I'm looking at her and she says, my son wants to buy me something wonderful because I'm having surgery in two days. Uh. And right then I said to her, what are you having surgery for? And she said, I have stage four cancer. And she goes, this is kind of my last hope. Hmm. And I paused and I said, can I pray for you? Yeah. And I did. And we both wept and her son bought all this product and she left and I stood there. And as I turned around, the Lord said, it's all the same to me. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. It didn't matter that you weren't on stage last Sunday setting up the atmosphere by doing the song before the pastor. (laughs) Right. It's all the same. In fact, maybe in some ways what you did today was more impactful than that. We don't need to compare, right? Because it's all ministry. And so when people say, well, what's your ministry? I'm like, well, my life is Hmm. the way I'm a mom, the way I'm a wife, the way I'm treating someone that's a stranger, the way I coach in business, the way I do coaching with my horses, the grocery store, like it's all ministry. Because if the Lord, if the Holy Spirit, the Lord are with me all the time, then I always have an opportunity to look for to how I can love people well. Yeah. Right. Mm. I, I mean, I was just, I was just going to say, we were talking about this before you arrived. Like, I, uh, I, it makes me think of Mother Teresa's her, her saying that she was like, there, there, there is no, um, there's only small things with great love, yeah. basically. And and we were talking about how we can get so trapped in comparison. And um, we were reading a James Clear quote, and he was like, it's so hard to write 100 words when everybody else is selling bestsellers. Like it's talking about their – or it's so hard to do your 10 minutes at the gym when everybody's talking about their – and they're posting it. And more now than ever, we are uh, assaulted constantly Mm -hmm. with comparison. And of course, that would infect our spirituality because we're humans. These were always human problems. They didn't just show up. They are, and but but we experience them in a kind of intensity. Mm-hmm. But uh, thank you so much for sharing that. I mean, that's just my my thoughts. Well, and no, I I, wanna... I, I I wish you hadn't shared that. <laughs> um, and no, I that's a that's a beautiful story. I, yeah. I was just having a conversation yesterday with with a friend of mine, and and she, you know, she led worship in the church for years. She helped plan a church, like, and and she several years ago left ministry. The that church that she helped plant ended up shutting down. Yeah, like yeah. it was this whole big thing. And, you know, she hasn't been in ministry now for several years. And I just asked her, I was like, what's it like on that side? Like, what's it like over there? And she was like, it's so much better than I could have ever imagined, you know, because there's all that fear when all you've ever done is ministry. um, There's that fear of like, this is all I can do. This is all I will ever do. And if I can't do this, I'm lost. You know, and you know, I have felt that way. Like this is all I'm. This is all I'm good at. Like I can't. I can't sell real estate. Like I can't. You know, fill out an application at you know Charles Schwab. I mean, I haven't even been. You know, I've applied at several different Starbucks. I can't even get a call back. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like Brian. This is all you do. So it's like, okay, crap. If this goes away, I'm done. 
Like I'm toast because there's nothing else I can do. So just being able to hear from her, like there is life on the other side of ministry because ministry doesn't begin and end with having a job at a church, you know, like it's sometimes it's the mercy of, you know, giving someone a lotion sample and getting to pray for them because they're having cancer surgery and, you know, in a few days, like that's ministry. And that's like, to me, that that's so much more important than some like goofball in skinny jeans and, you know, a tight t-shirt getting up on stage <laughs> to sing a few songs, you know, like maybe that, maybe we all need to like for a second go, mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to say we all need to go work at Victoria's Secret, but um, although. So I should redact, no, uh, I yeah. should redact my uh, application. Yeah. yeah. But anyway. But, yeah. but yeah. you know what? It's all good, Brian. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. I think yeah. to say this is better than this. Oh yeah. And, and I've done that too. Right. But it isn't. It's it's yeah. you're up there setting an atmosphere mm-hmm. with a song, preparing for a message that you want people to hear. Right. God loves that. Yeah. And then you're out, maybe you're a salesman selling cars. Sure. And you get to engage with somebody and you get to love them. What's the right. phrase we always use when yeah. we talk about building business and caring for people is Love is the long-term best interest of the one being served. Right. Well, that that doesn't matter whether that's in your job or with your family right. or at your church. Yeah, that's the idea, and I think we have to get away from this comparison we make. Sure. Yes, yes. That if you're legitimate, you're full time in the church. If you're not legitimate, you know, or yes. if you're legitimate business person, then you're full. Right. Why can't we marry these? Right. Yes. Why yes. can't we help one another? Right. Can I stray off into the Bible for a minute? Oh, oh well. Come on now. I don't is know which church. Which translation? Yeah, well, <laughs> we're going to have to have I'll a try discussion to make this about as non-church that. as possible. Yeah. But, um, I'm, just I, had to get pers- religious on yeah. it. Oh, my personal studies right now is in Luke 8 and 9. I mean, it's, it's just such phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I just, I've been walking with Christ since 1975. We're old. And Jesus is still... He's a superhero, and he's the model <laughs> for everything, yeah. I think. And so he he's with the people, and he says, hey, guys, let's go across the lake. So he goes across the lake, and a giant storm comes up, you know, and he's asleep. And, and he calms the sea, and they're, like, flabbergasted. Now, they're still flabbergasted. No matter what they do, they're flabbergasted. I would imagine I always project myself, and I go, <laughs> yeah, I'd be flabbergasted, too. Yeah. <laughs> How'd you do that? Um, and then I, you know, I looked at the whole story, and he goes on, and he lands, and he encounters the demoniac at the Gadarenes. If you look into the ancient language, the when he identified himself to Jesus, he used the word mob, which in the mm-hmm. Roman legion language was over six thousand men. Mm-hmm. So and this guy, this guy had no life other than what the demons told him to do. Right. And he was a crazy man. And and I believe the storm came up because the enemy saw where he was going. And this was the area where he had been, Jesus had been rejected before. So bad marketing decision, yeah. bad business yeah. plan. You're going back there? They already told you to get out of town. Yeah. Anyways, the storm comes up and he sees it as a, an offense from the enemy and says, stop it. And I'm going somewhere. Yeah. And he goes, and this man is delivered and converted and said, I'm I'm all in. I want to follow you. I want to come to church. And Jesus said, uh-uh. 
you stay here. And the guy became the evangelist for the entire region right. so that when Jesus went back next time, he says everybody from every village came to hear him. Hmm. Giant mind shift for everybody. So what's, what's all that mean? That guy wouldn't qualify, the demoniac, mm -hmm. wouldn't qualify to pick up trash in our church parking lots. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, for a long time. Yeah. Well, how long have you been walking with Jesus? Well, you had to go through all 101, 102, 103. Yeah, right. You have to go through all the classes um, and jump through and, the hoops. And, yeah. and yeah. the point was Jesus saw him through the eyes of love, mm -hmm. not the eyes of fear, not the eyes of not enough, but you're enough to go tell your story. And so, and he saw the evangelist in this guy yeah. mm -hmm. and released him upon the land and got in a boat and left. Yeah, right. I mean, no follow-up whatsoever. Yeah. Didn't even send him a letter saying, hope you're you're doing well, right. buddy. You know, <laughs> and here's some other things to think about. I'm going to need your metrics from the last quarter, yeah, if you don't yeah. mind. Well, like, if you could send me that. Yeah. No, there I, was none of that. And, and he did that over and over and over yeah. and over again yeah. and thinking, okay, how have we become what we become? Because now we're doing business metrics in a church. And again— the, Or even the, business— Business metrics in business. We right. make that the most important thing. Rather right. than people's real productivity and putting yeah. people in the place where they're yeah. best suited mm -hmm. beyond their personality profile. Right. And where are you happiest? Where do you where is your groove here? And how can I help you pursue your dream within mine? Right. Right? Yeah. So I that, can't help to see, but the, just the 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 role of fear, the role fear plays in all of this. The reason we don't do these things is how much we are afraid of other people. Why was yes. the demo demoniac who was was obviously outcast? Maybe by, by our standards, we may – I'm not sure what was going on at that point. But I know mental illness was not understood. And I know often people like that would have been considered that this was an unclean spirit. That was yes. very clear. Um, and so lived alone – usually starved to death um, or beaten or, and just killed because they were not worth anything. So what's interesting about that story and what Jesus does by interacting with him and then also even saying things like you're forgiven and all this stuff, he's disrupting a kind of economic power structure of the day yes. that was revolving around the temple that people needed to go through priests. People needed to go to a certain piece of cleansing themselves in order to be restored to community so they can eat, so they could make money and all that kind of stuff. Well, it's um, bad for business when this disruptive rabbi comes in and starts making everybody equal without going through the proper steps. And so that's the kind of disruptive mandate, I think, that Jesus is calling us into. It's like, how are we bringing people in recklessly without pre-qualifications um, and just sending them out. And it's like, no, no, you are part of this. Like, I can't hear what you said, what you said in that mall in, in, in any other ways of that an an anointing. Like you, you happen to be there with, with something that was like lotion, but it may have been oil in which you are doing something that is caring and tender um, and then should be followed by prayer. I, I I could see that as a holy place in a marketplace, like you've made holy, which we do with intention. Um, and I think that that's what's so 
beautiful about what I see with the, with the two of you and how you're interacting with people that it's the people that go first and then the processes follow. It's not like, not like measuring things is bad. Like we do want to know if things are effective, that we're doing these things, they're, they're effective. But we chase that because we're afraid of getting involved with people. We just, we would rather make processes the thing that we chase. Yeah. Well, and sometimes it's because we're unconsciously resentful of what somebody's made us go through. Yeah, yeah. And so we're like, well, I had to do all of this. Certainly you do. But what does God say about the workers in the field that get paid at the beginning of the day and the end of the day? Yes. You know, there's a reason for that example, right? Because it's not about the hours you put in or the classes you took. It's about can we release one another to become who we're supposed to be? And can we put that aside? Because that's all ego. It's all soulishness, right? It's not spirit. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so can we get past our own offenses and our own maybe um, preconceived ideas around how it should look because we're afraid or we want control or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever to say, how do we do this differently? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we, we've, we've mentioned this a little bit earlier um, and I'm going to need to, unfortunately, I'm going to need to bolt in just a little bit, but I, I will leave it in Paul's capable hands to, <laughs> to finish everything up. Because uh, he's because this good is at going that, way so. longer than you no, thought. No, right? come on, this <laughs> no, conversation not unbelievable. Not at all. No, I, am, I was like, yeah, I am the one that is sad that I have to go because I love I love hearing you guys talk and 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 not just hearing you talk, you, you but can listen to the rest of the podcast. But it's <laughs> what you and I'll, yeah, I'll just go back and listen to the podcast. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll be the you. I'll be the one person that listens to the chasing. <laughs> Sunday podcast. Um, no, I, uh, I I always have valued your your wisdom, but also your your vulnerability. Your uh, you know you you didn't have to share your lives with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know from the beginning of three to five club, and and you know we were we, we felt like when we first started that you know it's like all right, well, here's a couple of guys in nonprofit ministry walking into this business group. Like, what are we getting ourselves into? Um, you know, you didn't have to tell us that you've been in ministry before. You didn't have to share parts of your story that, you know, that you have shared with us in the past. And, and so we're grateful for just your, your vulnerability with us. Um, I would love for you to talk a little bit about, uh, what three to five club is. Um, because for us, I've, I've always had a little bit of a critical eye about, um, how big business, has been married with church in the past. Um, you know, I went to a conference once where, you know, more than, I would say, over 75% of the keynote speakers at this like three day conference were all leaders of like Fortune 500 companies and was all talking about like how to lead your church like these big corporations are doing it. And I was like, this doesn't feel, this feels icky. You know, this doesn't feel right. Um, and what I came to learn through groups like Three to Five Club is just how much like the Industrial Revolution, and I could go on and on about this, but how the Industrial Revolution really ruined, you know, big business, you know, and how but but we still continue to work that way. I saw how those practices were, you know, were were in you know, kind of injected into the church and how destructive that has become. In, in going to three to five club, I was able to see, oh, there's a, there's a different way. And actually I see the way that like crank set and a lot of businesses in three to five, like, oh, if the church actually ran this way, if these were the business practices that the church adopted, we'd be in a much better place. 
So that's why I think it's so important, and I would love to hear you guys when I listen to this later. Um, I'm just going to throw this question in the room like a grenade and then run out. Um, but talk about Three to Five Club because I think it could be very valuable to people in ministry as it has been valuable yes. to, to Paul and myself. Uh, could be very helpful for worship leaders because there are a lot of these practices um, and, and principles that we learned that I'm trying to uh, institute uh, in my ministry and my church. Um, and so I would love to hear you guys talk about that. You are facilitators for three to five, but you've also been through the groups. You know this stuff inside and out. Um, so yeah, I would love to hear, uh, hear you share about that. And, uh, yeah, I'll stop talking now and let you guys answer the dang question. (laughs) (laughs) You know, our mission statement, our vision is live well by doing good Mm -hmm. for Crankset. And so that's ministry. And then our parent company over three to five. And then we say that our mission for 3 to 5 Club is to provide business owners tools, mm-hmm. right, so they can get off the treadmill, meaning yeah. they can have freedom and significance and mm-hmm. money, and help them get back to the passion that brought them into business in the first place. Well, we probably should say we provide profit and f- not-for-profit leaders, mm-hmm. right, because it's not any different, mm-hmm. right? The only thing different is at the end of the year – you as a business owner can determine where the profit goes versus in a nonprofit, mm-hmm. you typically have a mm-hmm. board or a group of people deciding where that how that money is going to be spent. Really, the way that we run everything else um, can be the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like you, I agree with you, should be the same. Yeah. So it'd be great if every executive pastor, every senior pastor, or every leader in an organization could learn those concepts. Mm-hmm to be able to grow what they're growing and grow their people. It's not any different. Mm-hmm. And so I think like three to five is my ministry. If you yeah. want to say, what's your mm-hmm. ministry? It's like my job. Yeah. You know, my yeah. my life's goal is transformation, whatever yeah. I do. And so that's where I get to yeah. work it out. We we often left, uh, you know, we'd leave yeah. we'd leave a group on a, on a Wednesday afternoon saying like, that was like the better than any church service I've ever been to <laughs> being a part of those groups just because the things that we ta- that we talked about were so it was it was so people centric it was service centric it wasn't you know one of the big things that that we that I always remember is like serve don't sell like it's always about how can I how can I serve the person that's in front of me not try to sell them something i mean that'll happen you know but but at the end of the day like People want to know that that you care about them, not that you have something great to sell them so that I can get money and, you know, go, yeah, you know, yeah. go buy my Benz. You know, it's like, no, they want to know that I care about them, yeah. you know? And so that's – anyway, I have to go. I'm going to – yeah, I'll let Paul finish up with all the questions. Thank you both so much. Thanks, I love friend. you dearly. Thank you. So you know, my history with the church and small groups, um, in fact, every church after that that we – started and grew was driven through small group and it's not 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 just having a bible study but small groups for all kinds of things mm-hmm. um so we, we ended up not pastors i didn't do any counseling i i didn't go to the hospital all those people were covered by their small group and, and the point being is that people were empowered to be who they were and the love on one another so that when we got into business, um, we left full-time 
clergy work and went and started business and, and went into business, um, we, we were still looking for that same ethic. And when we got introduced to three to five club, there what I saw it. I went, oh, this is how this plays out mm. in mm-hmm. the business realm. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you want to jump yeah, back so, in there. I mean, think about this. We have four big pillars in three to five, a big why. Okay. Churches usually have a big why, right? Yeah. Big vision, right? Then we have a strategic plan. Most of the time we have some plans, whether they're written down or not, right? Yeah. We have plans. We have how are we going to execute, you know, making that happen. The third is process maps. So both churches and business can benefit from creating a frequent, consistent, deliverable process to create excellence in what they do, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then fourth is outside eyes. Mm-hmm. And so why why would we think we can't all benefit from having other eyes helping us solve problems, finding solutions, yeah. supporting us, encouraging us, walking through it with us? So. Yeah. That's not any different in a church than it is in a in a in a really great business. Yeah. No matter what size it is. Yeah. Or in a family. Absolutely. Right. You, it's funny yeah. because we were in a club and one of our club members is in Canada and she's a hotelier and she's pregnant for the first time. Hmm. And her bottleneck was how am I going to run this business and be able to incorporate this aspect of my life? Yeah. And what happened after the group met with her and and helped her solve this problem is she just needs to process map her personal life. Mm-hmm. And she goes, oh, my gosh, I never thought about that. But absolutely, because then she'll find her place as the mom and she'll know where her husband's, you know, I mean, they can do it together. But also, who else do they need who can help them accomplish what they want to build in this new aspect of their life? Yeah. I, I think what you're saying is something that I resisted for a long time, which is applying discipline to any area of my life. I do have a process. I do have a routine. I'm going to come up with it unconsciously. When I come up with it intentionally, that's what we call a process. Like, as, or we make a map. We make a map of of roads that we've been to before, right? And then we go, oh, but how long is it going to take from this city to this city? So I can plan, you know, how much food I'm going to take, or if I'm going to be there in time for dinner, all that kind of stuff, because of actually how that has connections to relational importance. It does matter if somebody, if I, if I show up two hours late to dinner, because then I risk relationships. So something like as uh, in, in what you've described, those four pillars are something that definitely is very much a part of what Brian and I are trying to do. And especially as we launch the green room, which we've talked a lot about, which is this, how do we get people? Cause I don't think it's natural for people or normal for people to make plans and think intentionally about their process. It has to happen in a community and it happened for us in three to five club. Um, and I, I mean, I'm, I'm not an evangelist for many things quite honestly, but I, I am an evangelist for three to five clubs. I think that um, just about anybody could use them. Um, and uh, and you are facilitators of groups, you know, in, in Denver, but also online, right? How do people find out about you and, and about three to five club? How do, how do people get involved in that? We hope, we hope they find out about three to five club more than us because I mean, we facilitate. So yeah. The, the three basic pillars, the components of every three to five club 
are things we should be seeing in church as well. Right. It's connection, curriculum, or, or some training uh-huh. and community. Okay, well, I don't know about you, but again, if we help people connect in church, they want to come back and, and do it again. Yeah. Right? I mean, we want to be trained. And Brian said it, you know, but if, if the training is relevant to me, so mm. not for my future spiritual development, you mm-hmm. know, when I'm older, but tomorrow on my job, mm-hmm. well, I got to have more of that. That's been my experience anyways. And then, and then community where people are going, would you tell us what you did recently to move your, there's accountability, but it's, mm-hmm. it's not imposed. Mm-hmm. It, you're invited into a, mm-hmm. a accountable relationship and going, yeah, th- I didn't do anything or I did this part of what I said I was going to do. And then we end the, the, the club by going, what one step will you take to move your business for? Well, who doesn't want to move their business for it? We all do. Right? right in one way or the other and by announcing it to other people who i've learned to trust where they're not going to go that's all or wow that's too much dude you know right then we're we're making ourselves accountable all over again and, and inviting the the input from other people um so it's significant and i thought yeah if we ever did another church yeah, <laughs> it would be an expansion of this, and right? Just think if you're in a, a a ministry group or a small group or a women's group or a men's group or a leadership group, and you said, "What's one thing you're going to do in the next two weeks to perpetuate that thing you talked about? That you want to be a better dad, or you want to be a better mom, or a better sister, or just you know, just think of um, that kind of awareness." We say. Accountability is just awareness. So we're bringing to awareness, we're saying it out loud. Now we have a much better guarantee of actually making that happen because mm-hmm. we've actually confessed it to somebody else, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. then next time you show up, we say, well, Paul, what did you do? Did you do that thing you talked about, right? And now you're like, wow, she cares about me enough to actually ask me about this thing I want to accomplish. Yeah. Well, that's what we do at 3 to 5 Club and the way you can find us, because yeah. you asked that question, I want to answer that is you can just go to www3, the number three, the word two, T-O, the number five club.com, three to five club.com. And you can see where our clubs are. We have an online club on Wednesday mornings, first and third week of the month. We have in-person clubs in Denver. We have clubs in Canada. We have clubs in Ireland. So we have other places where people can plug in as well. And you can email me at sandy at three to five club.com and Tom at cranksetgroup.com. We don't really we know don't why care. they're different. I mean, <laughs> well, and we, we, we don't care what club you're in. Uh, you know, we care to get you in a club that's right. a good fit for you. Yeah. Um, and, and this will be exciting because we'll, we'll have Chuck Blakeman on a, on a podcast later. That's awesome. Um, and, uh, and he's the founder, he's the founder of Crankset. Of Crankset and and of Three to Five Club. But he will be the first to tell you, like, he didn't come up with any of these things. It wasn't anything that he he just he was able to kind of arrange things. And I think most of the time, the stuff that really helps us is not new stuff. It's just we needed community. And I think there's something important that I experienced in Three to Five Club, which um all the best experiences I've had in churches have the same ingredient, which is vulnerability and confession at some level. 
confession takes place, that's not a new concept. And to some degree, whatever you want to call it is repentance. Repentance or or what I think of like the, the, the Hebrew word teshuva, which just means I'm off the path. I just realized I'm off the path and now I can come back to the path. It's just that simple. Or, or even the Greek, when the Greek says metanoia, I've got a new mind about this thing. Um, and that happens in groups that you cannot do it alone. It can't be a solo thing. It has to happen in community. You guys live that out. It's been such a great time to have this conversation with you. Thank you so, so much for coming Thank here you. and talking. I know we're going to, I would love to make this a part two. Uh, you know, when we, when we do season three, we might ask you back because we got, I had all sorts of stuff that I wanted to talk about today. I know you today. didn't ask us the smell question I didn't and I was looking you. forward to the smell question. I wanna, so we'll okay. save that for part two. Oh, okay. I'm going to <laughs> think about it. Think about it. For, for those listening right now, the question is, tell me a smell from your early life. I totally ripped that off from one of my favorite podcasters, Mike Birbiglia. Um, and, um, but I think it's one of the best questions. Um, uh, but other than that, thank you, Tom. Thank you, Sandy, for coming and being on the Chasing Sunday podcast. Thank you. Thanks, Paul. Good to be with you today. See? Told you. Yeah. Tom and Sandy Corrigan. Oh, man. Brilliant people. That story she told of being in the mall when she was working in Mm. Victoria's Secret, ah, that was so beautiful. I was thinking just even the the image that was coming to me, I think in that conversation too, was of Jesus washing feet, of of how intimate it is when you touch somebody's skin. Um, And there she is in sort of the center of commerce in many ways, Mm -hmm. offering to touch somebody. With lotion, right. you know, right. and that the woman yeah. approaches her and that's how mm-hmm. that relationship of need and vulnerability came. Both, both of them being incredibly vulnerable with each other. Right. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's so beautiful. And it, yeah. And, and it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to happen within the, the walls or the bounds of, of working in full-time, you know, professional ministry, right. you know, like that was her ministry in the moment. Yeah. And it just was, I, that, that was a great reminder of just needing to be able, uh, needing to be able, what am I saying? Being, being on the lookout for those opportunities yeah. wherever you are. Right. Um, and, and again, it's one of those things where the, when our pace of ministry becomes so, so fast and so focused just on the weekend, we, we, we lose those moments, right. you know? And, and so I, I think that's why it's so important um, for us to be able to, to slow down from time to time mm-hmm. um, and, and step away from, from our tasks and mm-hmm. from, you know, from our, our so-called productivity and, yeah. and really keep our eyes open for those moments where, where God is working outside of, of, these boxes that we've, you know, that we've put him in. So, yeah. uh, I mean, just that whole thing about the, the inherent sacred secular divide that we have in our head about mm -hmm. this is ministry. That's not ministry and all these sort of things. And even just the way she heard from Jesus of, of that, that word, it's all the same to me. Yeah. So it's, it's simply just the spirit in which you, you present it. It's the, and the, the, that you are engaging in it. Um, 
It could be you have a guitar this Sunday, and it could right. be that you have a bottle of lotion next Sunday. But right. it's about your attention um, uh-huh. to to who is in front of you, what's in front of you, um, and 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 bringing your whole self to it. So um, I, I just thought it was such a great. I love those guys. They're just yeah. so wonderful, and we're gonna have them back. I, mm-hmm. Sandy, maybe specifically, just talk about mm-hmm. the lessons we can learn from horses. I know it sounds yeah. crazy when I say it, but I was like, right? it, it was eye opening to me when I yeah. went, and she, I walked, she walked me through one of the process with my kids. Mm-hmm. I was there with my mm-hmm. daughters and stuff, so it was really cool. So yeah. love them. Yeah. Um, hey, a uh, couple of things that are that are coming up uh here in uh in the next couple of weeks um that we want to make you aware of um first of all uh Colorado Gives Day yeah. um is coming up on December 6th that's mm-hmm. a Tuesday um it's a it's a great opportunity uh for uh for you or or anyone that you know to uh to kind of jump on and and support uh Torn Curtain Arts financially um and uh yeah, it's uh, Colorado Gives makes it really easy, um, mm-hmm. and you know, pay attention to uh, to our socials, um, Facebook and and Instagram. We'll be uh, we'll be sending out blasts about how you can give to Colorado Gives Day. Um, so please make sure that you mark your calendars for December sixth, and uh, and check that out. Um, and then uh, another uh, real real special thing uh, that's coming up uh, toward the end of December. Um, December twentieth, uh, right? December twenty first, actually. Twenty first. It's a Wednesday evening uh, at my home church, New Denver Church. Uh, we do a service called the Longest Night, um, and it mm-hmm. is a, a special liturgy um, for people who uh, people who grieve and uh, want to stand alongside those who grieve around this time of year. Um, Christmas is very joyful and and very fun for a lot of people, but for many. It uh, is a great source of pain. Um, mm. Either they lost someone around this time of year, mm. or uh, or it's their first uh, it's their first holiday uh, without a loved one, or you know other things. You, everyone's got Christmas baggage. Um, so uh, yeah. we all so, try and keep it together. We all try it, but yeah, there's a piece of it that uh, is I, I kind of grieve every time I go through this mm-hmm. season, and I hold it in tension. With the yeah. joy and the happiness, but but also their sorrow, and uh, it's yeah. an important thing to give space for that and and mm-hmm. acknowledge it, and that's what the longest night is really all about. Like yeah. it's creating that space. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, if you can uh, if you can make your way to New Denver Church um, on uh, Wednesday night, December twenty first, which is actually the longest night of the year, hence the title, uh, the, right? Yep, it's the the winter solstice. Mm-hmm. So. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's just a really, a really beautiful and, and, and healing and restorative time for, for folks. But, uh, yeah, really, if you just have some things that you need to process, uh, this time of year, um, around Christmas time, uh, I want to invite you to the longest night. So, uh, there's going to be more information about that. Uh, we can get that on our uh, website at torncurtainarts.org, or you can visit newdenver.org, uh, to get information about where, uh, where you can find us and, and, um, uh, what time this, you know, what time this service starts and all of that fun stuff. So, yeah. um, so yeah, 
And come, please come be sad on Christmas. Come be sad uh, on Christmas. It'll make you happier <laughs> on Christmas. I, I that's it's yeah. absolutely yeah. true. You know, it's if yeah. once we release some of that stuff, it it, it yeah. really enriches. We're not about like making people morose all the time. Um, but thanks for listening to the podcast. Yeah. Uh, if you yeah. like what you're hearing, if you think it's valuable, and you want to help support us, rate and review on on your apple podcast or whatever pro, uh, podcast platform you listen to um helps people find us helps mm-hmm. people join the conversation um and and we certainly appreciate it because uh, we like these conversations we like to do more of them but uh, torn curtain exists because of the generosity of our donors that's how we are able to make this podcast. Mm -hmm. Uh, We don't do ads or anything like that. um, And we would like not to um, in the future, but uh, that really depends on people who care about our mission and want to see us keep doing this. So um, appreciate any support you can give us, throw Mm -hmm. our way either on Patreon or uh, by just sharing our podcast. That would be awesome. So Danny, spin that outro music and tell us all the vital information. We'll see you soon. Pew, pew. Okay, bye. Chasing Sunday is a production of Torn Curtain Arts and distributed by Resonate Media. Your hosts are Brian Davis and Paul Romig-Levitt with editing and mixing by Danny Burton. Torn Curtain Arts is a 501c3 nonprofit organization and your tax-deductible gifts make our work possible. For more information about TCA, and to partner with us in our ongoing work, visit torncurtainarts.org. Hey, it's Brian. I know you just got done listening to uh, a full episode of Chasing Sunday, but I really quick wanted to put a bug in your ear about Colorado Gives Day. Colorado Gives Day is happening on December 6th, um, and it's a way for uh, people throughout Colorado uh, to give to local nonprofits. And Torn Curtain is registered as a 501c3. We are uh, we are part of Colorado Gives Day. Um, and so you can go to coloradogives.org anytime between now and December 6th, and you can make a tax-deductible donation to Torn Curtain Arts through Colorado Gives. And so um, it's it's really simple, it's safe, it's easy, and it's a great way for you to partner with Torn Curtain Arts to continue this very vital work of helping get uh, worship leaders and, and other people in ministry off the ministry treadmill. So you can go to coloradogives.org uh, and, and search for us there. Like I said, you can give any time between now and December 6th. So uh, coloradogives.org. We're also going to have information on our website, torncurtainarts.org. And if you follow us on the socials, um, we'll have lots of information going up about Colorado Gives Day um, between now and December 6th. So uh, please uh, make your gift uh, or tell other people about it um, because what you do and, and how you support us does help make a difference in the lives of worship leaders all up and down the front range of Colorado. So coloradogives.org. And uh, thank you so much in advance for your support and for your love and, and, uh, and for your financial gifts.